about uh, 12 years old, I attended a parochial school near my home. And because the school was near my home, every once in a while I had the chance to go home for lunch and have lunch with my mother and my family. And on one particular day, I went home for lunch, and on my way back from home, I got to the playground where all my friends were playing out on recess. I noticed they were running around and throwing stuff at each other, and it looked like they were having a lot of fun, and I noticed that they were throwing crab apples at each other. They were having a crab apple war there on the playground. And before I had a chance to even pick up a crab apple and get in the game, wham, I got hit right in the eye. And I dropped to the ground and I screamed, I can't see, I can't see. And I tried to open my eyes and all I could see was this bright light and these colors moving back and forth. And I could not see a thing because I got hit with a crab apple in my eye and the ambulance came and it took me down to the hospital. I was there for two weeks with patches over my eyes because I had a bleeding retina because of the, the impact of the crab apple. And I was there alone, in, in, or I was there in this hospital room for over two weeks with patches over my eyes, not being able to see. And it was kind of fun during the day as a 12-year-old boy with uh, friends and family coming over. And, and like my soccer team came over and they all signed a soccer ball and they gave me the soccer ball. And my friends would come over and they'd give me gifts. I had my buddy Nolan there just about every day. My older brother was there and, and his friends, and they were about four years older than me, and they would come in and they'd say, you know, if we find out who threw this crab apple at you, we're going to beat him up, you know. And, and they were like there for me, you know, as older brothers can be at times. And, and uh, we'd play this little game because I couldn't see. They, they'd give me an object or two, and they'd say, try to figure out what this object is. So they'd give me a pen, and I'd figure out it's a pen, and they'd give me a ball, I'd say it's a ball. And then they gave me this plastic thing, and it had a, a rounded edge around the side of it. And I thought it was the, the cap to the N.W. root beer gallon. And uh, I said, I said is, it, is it the cap? They said, no, it's the urinal cap. That's that's 12-year-old humor for you. And, and, and yet, I, I, had, I had a kind of an enjoyable time during the day, but during the night in the hospital, as a 12-year-old boy, I was really scared because my parents weren't able to be there with me back then and there. You know, they weren't able to sleep, spend the night with you, so I was there alone. And because I couldn't see, my ears were much more attentive to the sounds that were going on throughout the hospital. And, and my roommate, that, that was much worse than I was, that was sick and, and hurting, And I was alone and I was scared and I couldn't see. And it's one thing to lose your physical sight as a 12 year old boy and be in a hospital scared and alone. And it's quite another thing to lose your spiritual sight, to be walking in the world and be unaware of God's presence in your life, because that's scary. That's alone. And that's where sometimes we find ourselves, we can't see God in our lives. And that's why we're doing this series, Can You See Him? Can you see God at work in your life? Can you see God at work in your family? Can you see God at work in your workplace? Can you see God? Because it's really scary to go through your life with spiritual patches on, unable to see God at work in your life. See, we we got to see God. We need to see God. There's this place inside all of us that wants to see God at work in our life. And last week, Dan reminded us that God is at work everywhere and in everything. Dan reminded us of the kavod, the glory of God that's all around us. And he reminded us that sometimes we miss 
God's glory, even though it's all around us. He, he directed us to, to Genesis 28, where, where Jacob had this dream. You remember what he said? Jacob had this wonderful dream. And, and he woke up from the dream and he said these words, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was unaware of it. Surely God's presence is in this place. And I didn't notice it. I didn't see it. I was unaware of God's activity in my life. I couldn't see him. And that happens to all of us all the time. We miss God's activity in our lives. Sometimes we're busy doing this, that, or the other thing. Sometimes we're going to work and all we're doing is having our, 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 our stuff, you know, work-related. Sometimes we're at home just dealing with the kids. Or sometimes we're doing this activity or that. And we're busy and we miss God. Or sometimes some challenge comes in our life, some sickness or some hurt. And, and we've been walking with God and all of a sudden we wonder, where is God when it hurts? Or, or I, I'm not sensing God's presence in my life. And we can feel scared and we can feel alone. And we can feel like we have patches over our eyes and we can't see God. And we don't want to live that way. God didn't create us to live that way. We want to see God. And that's why we're doing this series. We want to raise our awareness of God's activity in our lives so we can respond to the question, can you see him? We can say, yes, I see him in my work or I see him in my children's laughter or I see him as I as I staple papers. I see God everywhere and in everything. And this morning, we want to raise our awareness. I want to give you, uh, I want to help you see God at work in your life. This morning, we're going to sharpen our vision so that we can see God everywhere and in everything. And we're going to review a principle, a life principle, a principle that's true on on how life works. It's It's kind of a law that relates to the spiritual world. It relates to how God works. Because, you know, there's all sorts of different laws, aren't there? I mean, there's all sorts of natural laws that just reflect the way things are. It's just the way things work. For example, let me just give you a couple examples of of natural laws. So I'm just going to do something. I want you to tell me what what the law is. Okay, so so what's happening right now? It's the law of gravity. What, What goes up must come down. Very simple. If I was a non Christian and I threw the ball up, it would come down. It's just the way life works. Works. I don't. I, I don't have to throw the ball up and I and wonder. I wonder if that ball is going to come down this time, because every single time it'll come down. Now here's another law. What's this law? It's the law of conservation of energy is close. If I were to throw this ball at the wall, it would come back at me with force. It's the law of motion. It's Newton's law of motion that that to, to the degree the energy that you throw, there's a, there's an opposite reaction. It's the law of motion. There's a law of gravity. What goes up must come down. Newton didn't invent that. He just discovered it because that's just the way life is. When you throw the ball down, it's going to come up. It's the the law of motion. With the energy that you push down, it's going to come up. Now, here's here's another law. Anyone know what what principle is at work in, in, in this illustration? Buoyancy. And do you remember who discovered this principle? You got to think way back. Around 200 BC. Archimedes. Archimedes principle. It's the law of buoyancy. And so what happens this year is that this thing floats. And, and well, he, he was trying to, to figure out why some things float while other things sink. Why a rock sinks and a tennis ball 
floats. And the reason why a rock sinks and a ball floats is because the weight is being dispersed over the surface of the water. And if you disperse the weight appropriately, battleships will float while rocks will sink. It's just the way life works. Archimedes didn't invent this. He, didn't, he discovered it. And it happens every single time. You know, if you make, if you make a, a boat and you follow the principles related to the laws of buoyancy, you don't have to pray, God, I just pray that this boat will float. God, please make this boat float. Every time, if you follow this law of buoyancy, Archimedes' principle, your boat will float because that's the way life works. That's the natural law. What goes up must come down. Reaction, equal energy. Archimedes principle. And there are spiritual laws. There are spiritual principles that just work. It's just the way God designed it. And if we understand and align ourselves with God's principles, we'll be better off seeing God. We'll be better positioned to see God in our lives. And the principles are throughout the scripture. In fact, the principle that we're going to look at today is rather simple. It's not that complicated. It's often overlooked. But when we apply it to our lives, we are much better positioned to see God in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. This, this principle is throughout the Bible, but in Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at this principle in greater detail. Because if you're like me, and you're going through work, or you're going through your family, or you're going through life, and you're having a hard time seeing God, you, you, you sometimes find yourself trying to find your worth or your value in other things. Or sometimes you're tempted towards sin in a greater way. Or sometimes you're even comparing yourselves with other people. Like if you can't see God at work in your life, sometimes we can look at somebody else and say, well, at least I'm not as bad off in so-and-so. You know, and you can fall to the sin of comparing yourselves to others. You can be tempted to find your worth and value in other things. You can be tempted towards sin. And that's what was going on in the first century. These Christians were not seeing God at work in their lives. So they were being tempted towards sin. They were being tempted towards comparing themselves with other people rather than recognizing God's work in their lives. And their story is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. And Paul writes to these first century Christians that are, are tempted to find their worth and value or tempted towards sin or tempted towards comparing themselves to others by saying this, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If anyone thinks that he's got it going on, if anyone thinks that he's better than his neighbor because he's got a bigger house, if anyone thinks that he's better than you know, her neighbor because they got better children or they got a b- bigger car, if anyone thinks that he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. See, Paul's warning us of this problem of self-deception. That it's easy to deceive ourselves if we compare ourselves to other people. When we don't see God at work in our lives, we're quick to compare ourselves to other people. Don't we do that sometimes? Don't we compare ourselves to others? It wasn't that long ago I was talking to some buddies. And we were talking about this friend of ours in high school, just a really talented, gifted guy. His name's Andy. And everyone kind of looked up to Andy. Andy was talented as an artist. He was a wonderful storyteller. I mean, he was, he was a gifted guy. But he made some poor choices. 
And he ended up going down the wrong path, and he actually ended up in jail. And as my buddies and I were talking about it, you know, there was something inside of me that just says, I'm glad I didn't end up like Andy. At least I'm better off than Andy. And I compared myself to Andy. And what God is saying to us this morning says, don't do that. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't deceive yourself. Don't fall into this self-deception of comparing yourself with somebody else. Don't do that. Instead of comparing yourself to others, instead of thinking you are something when you are nothing, God says to us in verse 4, each one should test his own actions. Each one should take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. Each one should take responsibility for his or her own life. I love the way the the message translation says this in verse five. It says this, each of you must take responsibility for doing your creative best. Isn't that great? Each of you, instead of comparing yourselves to others, must take responsibility for doing your creative best with what you have. Each of you have been given gifts. Each of you have been given opportunities. Each of you have been given strengths that you can put into play. And instead of comparing yourself to somebody else that may be behind you and say, wow, at least I'm better than them. Or instead of comparing yourself to somebody else that's ahead of you and say, you know, if I had what they had, I might be better off. Instead of looking out the window at everybody else, Paul says, look in the mirror and test your own actions. And see if you're doing your creative best. See if you're taking responsibility for your own life. Verse 4 says this. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Each one should look in the mirror instead of the window and say, how am I using the gifts that God's given me? Because if I'm doing that, I will be able to see God at work in my life. I love the way Charles Swindoll wrote in, in one of his devotionals. He says this. He says, comparisons are odious. I just like that phrase there. Comparisons are odious. Comparisons just smell bad. You know, comparisons, when you compare yourself to somebody else and you say, hey, at least I'm better than they are. Or you compare yourself, you know, I'm not quite as good as they are, I mean, they're leading a Bible study or, or they have much more money. They're odious. They say, well, you know what happens when you compare yourself to somebody else? You make excuses for your inactivity. You come up with excuses. Well, if I had what they had, well, then I would be much better off than where I'm at right now. Or at least I'm better than so-and-so. And you make excuses. But when you take responsibility for your life, you know what you get is progress. Because comparisons are odious They only lead to excuses, but taking responsibility for your life leads to progress. When I was in college, I had a communications professor, and she said this to me. She said, you are 100% responsible for all of your communication, both verbal and nonverbal. I just like that. You're 100% responsible for all your communication, both verbal and nonverbal. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying you're 100% responsible for your actions, all of your actions. You can't blame somebody else. You can't say somebody else made me do it. You're responsible for your actions. You're 100% responsible to take what you've done and use it, to take what you have and use it for your creative best. Then we'll jump down to verse 7. 
Paul writes to us, he says this, do not be deceived. See, there is a self-deception problem. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And then Paul gets to this principle, this life-changing biblical principle that will enable us to resist the sin of comparison and pride and see God at work in our life. And the principle is this. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from that Spirit will reap eternal life. See, seeing God is pretty simple. I mean, it's not that complicated. It's not rocket science. You reap what you sow. And if you sow to the Spirit, if you sow to the Spirit of God, you'll be much in a better position to see God at work in your life. People reap what they sow. What goes around comes around. That's just the way life works. That's just the way God works. Now, I'm not a farmer. I can barely water my house plants and keep those things alive. But, but this principle, this illustration is for the farmers in, 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 the, in the world. This principle is real simple. If you plant an apple seed, an orange is not going to pop up. Right? If you plant a pumpkin seed, a pineapple is not going to pop up because that's not the way life works. People reap what they sow. And if you're not going to sow to the Spirit, you can't expect God's activities to be visible in your life because people reap what they sow. And if a person sows anger in their relationships, you can't expect love to pop up. If a person sows uh, irresponsibility with their finances, you can't expect peace to result. If a person sows laziness at work, you, you can't expect promotions to pop up. Because according to the Bible, people reap what they sow. There's a connection to our present activities and our future rewards. It's just the way life Works, And if you want to see God at work in your life, you've got to ask yourself the question, what am I sowing in my relationships? What am I sowing at work? What am I sowing in my own soul so that I will be better positioned to see God at work in my life? Because God cannot be mocked. God has established, he has created these principles for us to follow. What goes up must come down. When you throw a ball, there's an action, a reaction with the same energy. When you put uh, something in the water, that weight is balanced out and, and over the surface, it will float. It's just the way life works. You never have to throw a ball in the air and wonder if it's going to come down. It's going to come down. You never have to create a boat following Archimedes' principles and pray, God, please make this thing float if you follow It'll float. God's not up in the sky saying, hey, this boat, sink. This boat, float. This boat, float, float, sink, float. That's not, that's not how life works. People reap what they sow. And if you sow to the Spirit, you will find yourself seeing spiritual reality, seeing God at work in your life. There's a direct connection 
between our current actions and our future rewards. And if we want to see God, we must take responsibility for our actions. We must take responsibility for our thoughts and not compare ourselves with other people. We must do our best with what we have in our circumstances and so to the Spirit. And do things that will feed our soul, that will feed our relationships with love, that will feed our, our, our workplaces with productivity, that will feed God because what we reap, what we sow, we reap. Just to remind you, verse 8 says this, The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap disruption. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. As we sow to the Spirit, we will see God at work in our lives. See, every day we've got to make a choice. Am I going to do things that please the sinful nature, or am I going to do things that please the Spirit? Am I going to sow love and joy and peace and patience and see those results in my life? Or am I just going to ignore some of these basic principles that God has designed us to follow? Because it's really quite simple. If you want to see God, you've got to reap. You've got to sow to the Spirit in order to, to reap spiritual rewards. It's not, it's not mysterious. It's quite predictable. And it's really quite simple. And if you're here this morning... And you're at a spot in your life and you're thinking, you know, I'm not really where I think I should be spiritually. Or, 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 or maybe you're at a spot in your life in your career. And you think, you know, I'm not really at the spot I thought I would be in my career. Or maybe in your marriage. And you say, you know what, I'm just really not at the spot I thought I'd be in my marriage. Or, or in my education. Or, or in my relationships, in my parenting. Maybe this principle has been at work in your life. Maybe you didn't do the things five years ago, ten years ago to reap the benefits of where you thought you should be in your marriage or your career, your parenting, your education. Maybe you're reaping what you're sowing. Now, there are certainly exceptions to this law, to this principle. There's always exceptions to this law. But the question we must ask ourselves is, what am I doing? Or what have I done to put myself in this position? Because the Bible's true. People reap what they sow. What is my responsibility for my own progress at work or spiritually or at home? There's a quick illustration. If this circle represents your life and your life is not where you think it should be, or maybe it's a little bit more chaotic than you thought it should be, uh, what is your responsibility when it comes to this aspect of your life? Well, let's just look at the first one. Let's look at parenting, right? Maybe you're not where you thought you should be as a parent. Uh, maybe it's a little bit too chaotic. Maybe you're not as, as good as you thought you should be. And you have some choices. You can blame your parents. You know, you can blame your spouse. You, you can blame your children. And maybe there's a reason to do that. But you, you can blame a lot of other people. Or you can ask yourself, what's my responsibility? What's my slice of the pie? What can I own what, can, what have I done to bring this challenge in my life when it comes to parenting? What's my responsibility? Or, or maybe this circle represents your finances. Maybe you're not at a place where you thought you should be financially. Maybe you have more debt or you haven't saved enough or you haven't given enough. You can blame the government. You can blame your boss. You can blame, you know, the economy. Or you can ask yourself the question, what's my responsibility? What's my piece of the pie? 
what can I own and therefore change when it comes to my finances? Or if this circle represents your marriage, maybe your marriage isn't where you thought it should be or could be or where you wanted it to be. You can blame your spouse, you can blame your parents, you can blame your kids, you can, or you can say, what is my part of the pie? What can I own? I need to take responsibility for my actions. Why? Because people reap what they sow. And if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to weep, reap spiritual rewards. God cannot be mocked. It's just the way life works. What goes up must come down. If you follow the principles, your boat will float. You don't have to pray, make my boat float. If you follow the principles, your boat will float every single time. See, what we need to do in order to see God, we've got to align ourselves with this principle. And we've got to start sowing or continue sowing to the, to the Spirit, to sow love or to sow joy or to sow peace or to sow patience, and then seeing that result in our lives and seeing God's activity in our lives. And the interesting thing about this principle, in my mind, is that it's never immediate. Now, this isn't Newton laws of motion, and you, you throw that thing down, that thing's going to pop right back up. It's usually a delayed reward. It's usually after weeks or months where you see the results of this principle in your life. See, if you lie today, it's not likely that you're going to get caught tomorrow. But if you lie today, you're more likely to lie tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day. And pretty soon you reap destruction. You're a liar. And if you sow to the spirit today, joy or peace or commitment or love, you may not see the results today. But eventually, five weeks from now, five years from now, all of a sudden you're seeing love in your relationships or joy or productivity because what you reap you sow. It doesn't necessarily happen right away. There's not an exact one-to-one relationship. It's just a principle. It's just a guideline. And I think that's why Paul wrote this in verse 9 when he said, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's not a, a one-to-one relationship. It's not an immediate gratification. It's going to take some time. At the proper time, if you keep reap, if you keep sowing the things that are good and honorable and loving and just and kind and compassionate, eventually, sometime in the future, maybe in this life or the life to come, you will receive a reward if you don't give up, if you don't become weary, if you keep doing that which is right, you will reap the rewards because people reap what. They sow. It's not mysterious. It's not overly complicated. If you want to see God at work in your home, at, in your office, in your neighborhood, start reaping or start, start sowing joy. Start sowing love. Start sowing the things of the Spirit and you will see God at work in your life. So the question that we must answer this morning is simply this. What are the things that I can do today to reap the spiritual Uh, insights to see God. What are the things that I can do today to see God in my life tomorrow? What are the things that I can sow that lend themselves to, for me to see God's work in my life? A real simple illustration is that about six months ago, we, uh, we did this little thing called soul food, right? 
And maybe you remember this. We, we, we decided in January that we were going to read the Bible uh, just a chapter a day over the next six months and read the whole uh, New Testament. And we, for those of you that did it, it ended uh, just a few weeks ago on, on, uh, at the end of June. And I had the opportunity, I, I checked every box, I read every line, and, and, uh, and, and sensed God at work in my life. And as I've, I've been talking to people that have done soul food, some of the things that I've heard is like, wow, this was really helpful. It was kind of hard at times. Sometimes I'd miss a day or two, but it was really helpful for me. And one of the things that was helpful for me is that we all sort of read it together. That I knew that other people were reading at the same time I was, even the same passages. And one person says, you know, when I've been reading, one of the things that I've noticed as I've taken time out of my day to read the scriptures daily, I even had to rearrange my schedule, but I've taken time to read the scriptures daily. You know what I've noticed? I've been able to see God at work in my life. I'm just much more aware of God's presence because surely God is in this place. Surely God is in everything and in everywhere. I just wasn't aware of it. But as I sow to my own soul, I'm much more apt to see God at work in my life. Can you see him? Can you see God at work in your family? Can you see God at work in your workplace? Can you see God at work in your own soul? If you can't, just admit it. Just own it. I can't see it. I I need to see you, God. And then say, God, what must I do to sow your spirit into my workplace, into my relationships, into my own soul. Because if you do that, you will see God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the clarity in it. We thank you for this opportunity as a community to come together and declare our love for you and to hear from you. And we thank you for the principles of life. That what goes up must come down. And that that people reap what they sow. And and, and sometimes we can overlook these, Lord, but we look at this one today. And and we thank you for this principle that you've established. And we just ask, we just pray that that you would somehow help us to apply this principle to our lives so that we can see you more clearly this week. In Jesus' name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you sow to the Spirit this week and see God at work in everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen.